Welcome to Spears Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda. And I'm Eric. I'm doing intros again. All the time. Julia's getting married. There's just so much going on. But this is still episode 144, Gods and Goddesses of Agriculture with Hallie Casey and Catherine Arget. This is a great episode. I enjoyed it so much. I cannot wait for listeners to get to the part about the ant ranch. And (laughs) it delighted me to know it. There's a lot of good content in there as well, other than ant ranch. Ant ranch is very good, but it's less related than the rest of the serious topics that are discussed. But man, it's it's, it's a good episode. I like this one. Yeah, I got to get a little bit beer drunk and just gush about agriculture, which happens frequently in my life, and I was glad to bring it to spirits. Uh, Speaking of which, Eric, I know you didn't uh, get to enjoy any, but we were drinking a spontaneous fermentation ale in this episode. We talk a little bit more about what that means and what it tastes like, but it was delicious, and I can't wait for folks to go out and try one of their own if they never have before. And when I was editing, I was drinking a White Claw. Ooh, dang. You know, I, I have no qualm with White Claws. None at all. They're good. That's it. End of story. My first one was at your birthday party at Podcast Movement, where we put Chopped on in the background and then had a party, and it was great. It was, it was, it was, it was quite good. And you know who I would give a spontaneously fermented beer or a white claw to? Would it be our new patrons? It sure would. MC, Audra, uh, and Veronica, welcome. You join the likes of such patrons as our supporting producer level supporters, Audra, Jack Marie, Cody, Mark, Mr. Folk, Sandra, and Sarah. And our legend level patrons, these legends are Philip, Eeyore, Jessica, Josie, Marissa, Megan, Mercedes, Neil, Phil Fresh, Samantha, Sammy, and Skyla. All excellent people. Hopefully next year they can make it to my birthday party. I bet they would not complain about our choice of Chopped. Probably not. And you know, Eric, just as I would recommend that people try uh, new things such as White Cloth, that works for you. I also want to recommend a new podcast that I'm enjoying this week. Tell me about it. It is called Make New Mistakes from our friends at Mischief Media. They are the powerhouses behind uh, such wonderful conventions as Pod X last year and LeakyCon and GeekyCon and BroadwayCon, Con of Thrones. So many ways to use the word con in a title. But this podcast, Make New Mistakes, is uh, their CEO, Melissa, and their COO, Takia, talking about the mistakes you make in business, about being women in business, about running a creative company, about working with your friends, all the things that we think and talk and write about a lot, um, discussed from two hilarious and really smart and experienced ladies. And I was actually on an episode, so I'm not really promoting my own thing here because it's their wonderful show. Listen to my episodes or not, I, I don't really care. But the show is great. And anyone interested in the sort of realities of running a creative business should definitely check it out. Make new mistakes. It sounds very good. I will have to check that out. It is back to school season, as I am told by the youths these days. (laughs) And I think a great thing to do once you've packed up your backpack, once you've bought in all your school supplies, once you found your, your seat in your classroom, you go over to the kids sitting next to you and you tell them, about all the great Multitude shows you listen to this summer. Tell them about Spirits. Tell them about Potterless. Tell them about Horse. Tell them that Join the Party is back. Baby, episode 50, what up? Telling people that you know about the shows that you love and know are good and enjoyable is is the best way to help all of the shows grow and it is much appreciated to to spread the good word about, about what you love. Enough people... 
uh, don't tell people about what they love. They keep it inside, and it's so, so good to tell people what they've all been, been up to over the summer and what they've been enjoying. It's also a great way to make a friend, like, you know, that person in your math class who was wearing a feminist T-shirt or who wears all black or who has, like, a cool button on their backpack. You can be like, hey, it seems like you think about death and also want to dismantle the patriarchy. Listen to spirits. It's wonderful. Maybe they already are a conspirator and you'll just make an instant friend that way. Ooh, that's true. Absolutely wonderful. Well, we hope that all of you are having a great uh, back to work slash school slash continuing on with your life uh, season here. And we hope that more than anything, you enjoy episode 144, Gods and Goddesses of Agriculture. Well, we are so delighted today to welcome on the co-producers of One to Grow On, one of my very favorite podcasts all about agriculture, Hallie Casey and Catherine Arger. Hi. Great to be here. (laughs) It's delightful to have you. Thank you so much for being on. I don't know anything about agriculture besides the occasional god and goddess associated with it. So I'm very, very excited to have you all on. Awesome. We are so excited. So excited to be here. (laughs) Tell us what you're going to be teaching us and the conspirators today. Yeah, so we wanted to kind of talk about some of the different ways that agriculture is associated with religion throughout time and how, yeah, how that kind of works. Yeah, I think this is the perfect time for us to interrupt real quick with our drink of the week, Amanda. Oh, yes. Uh, So Amanda actually turned me on to this one because I am a big fan of, you know, the occasional wheat beer, like the farmhouse style, I like a good sour, anything like that. Amanda, you taught me about the incredible process of spontaneous fermentation, which is basically when the hops in the field ferment and then they make beer out of it. Yeah, or they make like a giant big vat of uh, beer. And then when you would normally kind of seal them away into a barrel to either ferment or to get aged, um, you just like kind of leave it open to the world. And then all of the very, very specific, you know, microbes and yeasts in your area give it a flavor that no one else can get. It's like so localized that it's to the individual farm or even field. So it's really incredible. I really, really love that. Yeah, get them wild yeast in there. <laughs> Ooh, hell yeah. So we are drinking Cool Ship by Allagash Brewing Company. It's one of their limited run series. It's very, very good. It's got kind of like an apricot and lemon zest flavor with like a hint of, you know, those like candied fruits you get during the holidays, that kind of thing. From the Italian market, I sure do. Oh, yep. You know it. So beer in hand, let's now turn to learn about something that I am such a enthusiastic amateur fan of, agriculture, <laughs> please. Hell yeah. Yeah, so agriculture came about a long time ago and at different points in different civilizations, but throughout pretty much all of human history, it was really, really important to every person. And, you know, today, everyone might not think about agriculture every day or be connected to it in a very specific way. We all are, of course, affected by our food supply and and how food is grown. But for pretty much all of human history, this was something that statistically, basically everyone was involved in in some way, whether they were a farmer or they had to seasonally go out and, you know, reap the fields or plant or something like that. It's such a huge part of so many civilizations, and it's really become tied into a lot of myths and religions and creation stories that we kind of wanted to talk about today. I love that. I miss the days where every other person was a farmer. (laughs) <laughs> do you? you miss them i live in 1992 yeah yeah just uh man i just i wish i was living that life i like i like the occasional hard labor <laughs> i will point out there were no podcasters in those days for pretty specific reasons i would have been a poet it's fine <laughs> 
That's very true. But anthropologically, like I remember learning in world history classes about the development of religion, worship and storytelling, even art. And that makes total sense to me that something you're so kind of dependent on the natural world to provide to you as like whether or not crops around you, whether you harvest them or you you like go and forage for them will flourish. That's an incredibly important kind of variable. And it makes complete sense to me why people would try to kind of exert some control or wish or hope or pray for some control over that kind of thing. So that is kind of a perfect segue into the next thing we wanted to talk about, which was we kind of pulled some high profile gods and goddesses, which most, if not all of them, y'all have already covered. But we really like them. So we wanted to highlight them real quick. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. So our, the first one we pulled was Demeter or Ceres as she is in the Roman tradition, because she's like kind of the main girl for agriculture in mm. that part of the world and she was such an important god in the greek and roman pantheon as one of the original six children of Kronos and as an olympian um and one thing that we also thought was super interesting is that she's also associated with death and sacred law and kind of that underscores how important agriculture was to these communities that they took this very incredible goddess and let her be in charge of agriculture as well as something as important as death and law and kind of the cyclical uh, nature of the universe and the hard and fasts of the world. Yeah, I always kind of forget the uh, the sacred law aspect. And you see it a lot in the mythology. It's not as blatantly kind of laid out in certain myths like her uh, agricultural and like also by extension death because of her association with Persephone and just like, you know, lack of agriculture equals death. But the sacred law aspect is so, so interesting to me. One of the other ones we looked at was Shipatotek who was an Aztec god of rain and super interesting. He was associated with renewal. His human sacrifices were, or the ones that were done in his honor, were pretty intense. They involved the flaying of the sacrificed person, which would then be used, the skin would then be used to adorn the statues of the priests. Obviously, we're not exactly sure because there's a lot in Aztec history that we was lost due to conquest. Kind of erased it. Thanks, white people. Yes. So that skin would be, would symbolize renewal and the blood from the sacrifice was supposed to bring about rain um, as the kind of symbolic blood draining from the body, rain draining from the sky. And I find it actually all three of these kind of have a connection to death in agriculture, which is super interesting. And they also were these gods that were very, very important to the cultures and the religions that worship them. And so that was something I found really interesting was kind of how this all played into agriculture and renewal. Yeah, and I mean, that absolutely makes sense because when you think about it, agriculture is a life or death situation. If it if you don't have the crops for the year to feed everyone, you're going to see death there. So like, you know, I, I, I'm not condoning human sacrifice by any means of the imagination, but at the same time, like the, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few in a lot of these kind of situations. Yeah. Yeah, and I, th- I think from our, our kind of current moment, a lot of the nuance and like nobility and agency of the person being sacrificed is often uh, erased. And like, I'm not a scholar in this, but I know that the sort of general narrative, um, sort of Hunger Games style, you know, is is often really reductive. But mm-hmm. um, coming together to you know give something real in order to get a really real benefit is something that we still do today. And like, all major religions have some element of of sacrifice, you know, and kind of like personal loss in favor of a higher purpose or fulfillment. Mm-hmm. For sure. 
The last god we wanted to go over real quickly was Osiris, who again is a G. Um, my main man. Truly the goat. <laughs> <laughs> truly, truly. So we found, well, Hallie actually found um, a Greek scholar who chronicled Osiris bringing civilized arts, including agriculture, to the people of Egypt. And of course, he's also associated with that kind of death and renewal cycle via the Nile flooding. I'm and seeing a pattern. Him dying and coming back to life. And um, so it's, again, you know, these very prominent gods that are associated with both death and with agriculture yeah absolutely i love i love a good pattern in Mm -hmm. uh in religious studies it's one of my favorite things it is truly my fave it's like if i can sit down and write a at least a six-page paper on this something good is happening here (laughs) yeah so another thing that we found super interesting is that there are a lot of creation myths that have to do with agriculture in some aspect. And um, one of the ones we wanted to highlight is the Zoroastrian tradition. So originally the first man was created and he kind of had some adventures, um, like went around do. with some evil spirits, but eventually he dies. And at this point he is the only living human. So when he dies, uh, seeds are born from his body and they spread into rhubarb. Um, And the rhubarb plant grows into a man and a woman. And then the other seeds in his body grow into different people. And so the world is populated through these seeds from the first man. Oh, I love that so much. I really love it. That is so wonderful. Oh, my God. I I love that so much. Like when I when I first learned that fruit are kind of just like the wrapping around which seeds are propagated. My AP bio teacher was like, yeah, all fruit is just like overripe ovaries, like whatever. It, it's fine. It's the world. And I was like, Mrs. L, please don't color fruit for me this way. Like, I think it is so fucking awesome. Like the idea of, of a body as a vehicle toward which like, you know, agricultural propagation happens is such a rich metaphor that I'm going to sit in for the rest of the day. Like, oh, my goodness. Oh, God. I'm just imagining baby Amanda being like, I'm too gay to think about ovaries as fruit. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Listen, anytime anyone mentioned the word boob around me, I thought for sure they knew that I was queer and I just like didn't make eye contact. Like, don't mention boobs in my presence. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. As someone who is not as familiar with like poetry and English and literature and kind of the theories behind it, I've always thought that like the cycle of like the movement of carbon and how death is so intrinsically wrapped up in your ability to grow and to create. Like if you don't have things dying, then your soil will die and you won't be able to grow anything and things will no longer be able to live. I've always thought that that was just such a a powerful idea in the world. That's poetry itself. What you just said, (laughs) poetry. You don't need to know like the Chaucer and stuff like that. Those those are people. Yeah. Sure. And like, uh, truly, this might be more of a discussion for the end, but like truly our current focus on like cooking as a form of self-fulfillment and self-expression, really real. Mm. But I feel like by the time the the food is harvested and brought to your table or your kitchen or your supermarket, so many people like have no conception of the entire process that happens before that. And like, to me, that is where that is where the poetry lies. Like that is where the meaning is found. Yeah, seriously. I very much agree. Yeah. Yeah. The other creation story I wanted to talk about was in the book of Genesis, mm-hmm. because this one is actually kind of different from most 
other discussions of agriculture in mythology? Because we have Genesis 129 through 30. Uh, we have God creating the fruits and the, quote, beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky for humans, which that is something we see a lot with this kind of, you know, God creating for humans. But what's interesting is that in this, it's not agriculture that's being created. It's just almost hunter-gatherer style. And we Mm. don't actually see agriculture until later in the story, um, once Adam and Eve have eaten from the forbidden tree of knowledge and are being kicked out of the Garden of Eden, Adam specifically is cursed to toil for his food. And um, that's when we get the from dust you are unto dust you will return when God is basically punishing Adam and Eve with agriculture, which is very different from anything we see in other traditions where agriculture is a gift. But in this one, we have it being more of a you know, you you messed up. You don't get to just grab things from the trees anymore. You have to plow. And I yeah. felt like that was a very interesting um, variance. Yeah. If you'll let me wax poetic for a moment, just because of I, one of my theses that I wrote for college was on uh, the apocalyptic movements in Christianity from the 80s. And one of the biggest movements that came out of that was environmental apocalypticism that uh, stemmed from Christianity. And they used that exact one that you talk about, uh, about being stewards of the earth as a reason that Christians are supposed to fight against environmental apocalypticism. And so like it encourages Christians to embrace a greener movement and stuff like that. So I think it's really, really interesting to bring that up because it's like, it's very much trying to be like, hey, we need to take care of our planet so the planet can take care of us. And God told us from the beginning that we should be doing this. Yeah, I found that super interesting. You know, I was doing this research and I was like, oh, because I hadn't even thought about the book of Genesis, even though, you know, that's the tradition I was raised in. um, And that's the one that I'm arguably most familiar with. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I was like, oh, there's a garden. That probably is it. And it wasn't until I was going back and actually reading through this book that I realized, you know, that we have this kind of relationship with agriculture where instead of being something that we were granted and we should be grateful for, we as humans um, should be grateful for, uh, it's this thing that we have to do because of something that our ancestors have done badly. I like it as an addition to original sin. That's really, really cool. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And also coming with the knowledge from the tree of knowledge is um, agriculture. So it is divinely given, but not on purpose. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, I love that. That's such a good interpretation. <laughs> we already touched on this a little bit, but we wanted to talk about myths that specifically deal with the invention of agriculture or how agriculture was brought to humans, because in most cases, um, it wasn't a human, which is something interesting that we will talk about later. So I found this really cool Sumerian myth, actually, when I was doing research for another episode on grains. Um, But so the tablet is fractured because, you know, it's an ancient Sumerian myth. It'd be like that sometimes. (laughs) Can't exactly know. (laughs) Um, But so basically this myth, it's uh, titled as How Grain Came to Sumar. The idea was that before grain came to Sumar, people grazed on the ground like animals. And Inhil and An had stored barley away from people in a mountain. 
And, and those are like the two main gods. Yes. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. No, yeah. Those are two very important gods. Um, they'd stored the grain away from the people. And their son, Ninazu, I think. Um, <laughs> their son, Ninazu. Honestly, that's our brand is kind of mispronunciation. So oh, you're yeah. okay. Also, very it's best. ancient Sumerian. It's ancient Sumerian. <laughs> we can't go ask an ancient Sumerian person. How many people are speaking ancient Sumerian nowadays? Probably none. But so Nimazu um, convinced his brother Nimada to disobey their father and to get grain for the people of Sumer so that they didn't, they no longer had to graze on the ground like animals and that they could have grain for themselves, which I love for like five different reasons. One of them being this kind of idea that it's something that was almost stolen from the gods and that it's like this humanizing thing. I just really love it. I really like this too because it's it's very similar to the Prometheus myth, but Prometheus brought fire instead of grain. And I, I, I like fire, super important, not going to disassociate fire with importance, but grain is so much more life-giving. And when I think about civilization, I think about like irrigation, I think about crops, I think about herding animals, that kind of thing. So I I think that's really interesting and really valid for the Sumerians to be like, oh, yes, the the gods had to defy their father in order to bring us grain because that's how important it is. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, it also sort of uh, takes authority away from the gods or takes power away from them or their power over humans at least because you know fire and grain i think are really similar in that way where grain is like i'm not just going to get food wherever it is made for me but i'm going to try to make it myself like i'm not going to just take warmth where warmth is provided to me but i'm going to try to make it myself and i don't know like to me that is super human like that urge to do something on our own to have some control over our destiny. Um, it's just like, it's the most relatable impulse. And I see those two as being super hand in hand. I really like that. I also really like it because in the Prometheus myth, in the Greco-Roman stories, like Prometheus gets punished in the end for bringing fire to the yeah. people. And I mean, this is a fractured ancient Sumerian tablet, so we might be missing part of the story they told. But I really like to think that, you know, these kids rebelled against their parents and then gave grain to these people. And there was no punishment for the gods because the gods were able to see that this was something that really like elevated these people that supposedly, you know, they created or had a hand in, I don't know, like supervising, I guess. What's that called? Like yeah, when gods that are, sounds right. Gods have power over people. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just I like that idea of they're not this being something that maybe people in power like overlook as something that can be really powerful for the people without power. And then when that that is given to them, there's, you know, just celebrating. And we're so excited that you can now not just, you know, kill mastodons and you can just sit around and grow some grain. Yeah, there you go. I super like that. Uh, You mentioned earlier that this has a kind of different origin from the actual agricultural origins of the Sumerian people. Can you talk a little bit about that for me? Yeah. So we don't have a lot of uh, historical written evidence, particularly, you know, for the Sumerian people and for a Mm -hmm. lot of different cultures. Agriculture develops in a lot of different ways, depending on where you are. Generally, it kind of followed the same pattern of people were hunters and gatherers, and eventually they were able to take wild plants and then breed them in a way where they were able to reliably plant seeds and the seeds would grow. And they were able to usually enlarge the, the, the final fruits. So a good example of that is in central and the southern part of North America, we went from something called tiacinti to modern-day maize. 
And basically, if you look at pictures of Tiocinti, it looks like a grass. It looks very, very small. And corn is a grass. Maize is a grass. But they basically, these Native American people over hundreds of years took this grass grain that was very, very small and through breeding techniques made that grain bigger and bigger so that they were able to get more nutrition from one plant. So that that kind of happened all around the world at different times and in different ways, but that's kind of the pathway that everyone took. Everyone's complaining about GMOs, but those are the original GMOs. <laughs> I'm saying. Listen to One to Grow on. They'll teach you all about it. There Absolutely. we go. <laughs> Eric, as you know, uh, here in the Northern Hemisphere, the days are getting shorter. And while I love fall, it is definitely a little bit sad to know that the warmest and longest days of the year are behind us. But something that I always am glad about, even when I turn into sleep, whether it's gotten dark at five o'clock or nine o'clock, is that I can fall asleep to a sleep story from Calm. And this is absolutely true. Calm helps me with my insomnia. It helps me fall asleep. I have like the wonderful, like imagery filled, poetic, very well produced audio stories to fall asleep to at night. You know what I love about Calm? What's that? Is that it works all four seasons. That's true. Absolutely it works true. Fall. It works in winter. It works in spring and summer. But listen, it's true that when your kind of circadian rhythms get messed up, like that has a real impact on when your body thinks it is time to fall asleep. So whether you are traveling, whether you are just like stressed and have a lot on your mind, or whether your environment has changed and you need something to build into your routine so that you're not just kind of struggling to fall asleep whenever you think you want to um, or try to, Calm is there for you. And right now, Calm is offering 25% off a premium subscription, which gives you access to all of their sleep stories, all of their content, their meditations, their soundscapes, all the stuff they have to offer at calm.com slash spirits. That is for everybody not from Long Island, C-A-L-M dot C-O-M slash spirits. Again, that's calm.com slash spirits. And Eric, that actually reminds me, I'm thinking about my like travel checklist uh, for this week because I'm going to Julia's wedding and we're going to see you there. Are you excited? I am very excited. Uh, me and Kelsey are packing up our bags and we're, we're taking a, a short week. We took yesterday off for the holiday and we're taking Friday off to fly out to uh, Long Island. And speaking of packing your bags, how, how's that experience going for you? It goes great because of Away. Away is a luggage company for modern travel, and they have the, the carry-on, which is a lightweight and durable shell that will last for a lifetime of travel. And it's great for people like us with multimedia because it has an ejectable battery to keep your phone charged, and it has a laundry bag and a compressor pack to easily put all of your clothes in so they're nice and organized when you arrive at your destination. It's awesome. And honestly, one of my favorite parts is like the 360 degree spinner wheels at the bottom. It's like those suitcases you see that where you don't have to like drag it, you just kind of like glide it along the airport floor. And there's no better feeling than seeing your suitcase like with almost no effort on your part, just kind of glide in front of you. Um, it's it's absolutely wonderful. My last bag just had the two wheels and the spinner wheels are just simply the way to go. So if you want to try an away suitcase, it is a great time to do that. You can actually try it by yourself, like on the road in a 100-day trial and return it if you don't like it, which is always a wonderful thing when you're making a new purchase. And you can get $20 off a suitcase at awaytravel.com spirits and use promo code spirits during checkout. So again, that's $20 off a suitcase if you visit awaytravel.com spirits and use the promo code spirits during checkout. And finally, Eric, we are sponsored by someone that I always bring to any like 
party out of town, it's Shaker and Spoon because Shaker and Spoon is a subscription cocktail box. That means that they send you every single ingredient that you need to make 12 awesome drinks. That's three custom recipes and four drinks of each recipe using just one bottle of liquor. So they send you everything except the liquor, and it's between $40 and $50 a month. You can skip or cancel any time. So for just that much money, you have someone bring the liquor, you bring your Shaker and Spoon box, and then together you can make enough drinks for a whole weekend of fun with your friends. It's simply the best way to like throw a party and make everyone feel a bit fancier than they would otherwise. Instead of just having some some basic things out of a can, you can be like, here's a fancy elaborate drink I've made for everyone. It is absolutely delicious. Again, whether it's for a party, whether it's for a special occasion out on the road or for just your wonderful routine at home with your friends, roommates, partner. It's absolutely wonderful. And at shakerandspoon.com slash spirits, you can get $20 off your first box. That's like between 35 and 50 percent off your first box at shakerandspoon.com slash spirits. And now let's get back to the show. So we also wanted to talk about Demeter again because she is my main girl. Uh, Badass bitch. She is a badass bitch. I keep on forgetting we can swear on this podcast because we can't swear on (laughs) ours. So much. So much cursing. (laughs) Drop those (laughs) F-bombs. So we found this account from Isocrates, who was an ancient Greek Writer, I think he called himself a historian, but really, who was a historian back then? Uh, philosophers. Everyone. Good. Everyone was. Everyone If you was. can write, you are a historian. Yeah. Or if you can speak, or if you can transmit stories. All history was fake back then. So his account of this is that um, after Persephone was taken by Hades, Demeter, who is her mother, was in a really bad headspace as, you know, one would expect if your daughter is kidnapped. Uh, and so she was just kind of wandering Greece being sad and um she observed the actions of humans who were kind to each other or to her actually this is interesting Isocrates says that he doesn't want to say exactly what kindness uh moved Demeter because he doesn't want to give up the sacred rights of her worshipers and so he kind of considered that something that one should not write about if one was not writing exclusively for worshipers of Demeter. Uh, yeah, mystery was... cult, super valid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, super respectful of an ancient Greek historian to do that. I was not mm-hmm. expecting that level of respect. But so she was moved by this kindness and she gave uh, agriculture to people. And the quote that he has is that these, the fruits of the earth, as he calls it, has enabled us to rise above the life of the beast and the holy rite, which inspires in those who partake of it sweeter hopes regarding both the end of life and all eternity. Oh, my God. Listen, I've had a very emotional night so far. My officiant for my wedding just sent over the plan and I like sobbed through the entire thing reading it. And so Demeter giving agriculture to humans because she saw acts of kindness between them. I am literally going to cry here. There are tears in my eyes. And I love the idea of like hospitality, acts of kindness, and more specifically feeding as you know divine worship and as like worshiping one another and like transmitting something really holy um again you know my tradition that i grew up in is catholicism i know this is true in judaism and and others but acts of service being really central to like enacting and transmitting like 
the belief in the values of your God on earth. Um, like I was really moved in high school to learn about the Catholic radical hospitality movement, Dorothy Day and others who um, like really took to the like word of what they believed was meant to be, which is like to give everything you have to others in, in service. And I don't know, that just like making someone a meal. We talked about it a few weeks ago with Julia Tertian. Like there is no better way of showing someone you love them than like nourishing them, whether that's mm. spiritually, intellectually, physically. Um, and like to see that reflected in such a foundational myth makes me feel like we're on the right track somehow in yeah. like <laughs> believing and spending time on that kind of thing. Yeah. No, 100%. The part of this myth that I found especially moving, I mean, on top of the whole observing kindness and giving people agriculture based on that was that, you know, agriculture is one of her main things and she just gave that away to humans. And if we, like you mentioned Prometheus earlier, if we look in other instances of Greco-Roman mythology, giving stuff to humans is not really done. And if it's done, it's not really something that the gods are happy about. And she's sharing the secrets of her big dominion, her thing with people out of the kindness of her heart because she witnessed kindness from them when she was in this super vulnerable place. Yeah. And the fact that she does it like while she's in the middle of grieving her daughter who was like kidnapped and that's like that's her response to her own grief. It's just it's a lot, you guys. It is. It really is. I'm very emotional right now. Why she is my main girl (laughs) right here. Damn right. And she's like the least she's the least like angry of all of the the Greek Mm -hmm. gods and goddesses, which I appreciate. Well, that's not true. Hades is kind of not angry at anyone any any point. Demeter only gets angry when you like really wrong her, and I appreciate that as a woman who is only angry when people really wrong me. Absolutely. I feel like she was with the exception of maybe Hestia, she was like the most chill. Like Mm. she most of them had negative chill, but she at least had a little bit of chill, which is saying, like, if your brother is Zeus and you still manage to have any chill, that's saying a lot. Not at war. Never murdered anyone as far as I can remember. Someone will tell me on Twitter that I'm wrong about that, I'm sure. Um, in general, didn't make people do dumb quests just to for her own vanity. Sorry, Aphrodite, no shade. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, in general pretty chill can't complain just like out there doing doing the work um so we wanted to talk about shen nong who was a mythical emperor slash god of agriculture in china um he might be based on a real person who lived around 2800 bce or if he's not based on a real person then this mythological figure lived around 2800 bce and he is credited with inventing most of agricultural technology. So that includes the axe, irrigation, the plow, one of my favorites, storing seeds in boiled horse urine. I don't know anything about this. <laughs> like you do. <laughs> I mean, obviously. And then Callie's also- like, I, an agricultural professional, do not endorse this method. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I would not say go out and get yourself some boiled horse urine. Like maybe find a different method to store your seeds. I mean, obviously you have to go get the horse urine and then boil it yourself, please. But listen, there's something about the, the, like, minerals and chemicals and the situation that I'm sure was true. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that they would write it down if a bunch of people tried it and it didn't work. That's true. Uh, they they used to like drill holes into people's heads and then wrote that down, being like, "This helped." <laughs> That's <laughs> for true. Humors, but you can very easily tell. I feel like if a seed storing method doesn't work, if you plant okay, all your seeds fair. and nothing happens, I feel like 
That's Listen, I, I think I trust agriculturalists more than I trusted doctors from the early time periods. Oh, 100%. Same. Very same. Right, yeah, cool. and like you can tell if things work or not. Like you can just put a bunch of leeches on someone and be like, oh no, they died kind of later, I guess. But agriculture <laughs> is real. Like there is there is real uh, there is real like results for your um, actions and like uh, verifiable results to your experiments, which I really appreciate. They also, died all of agriculture is technology. I'm here to stand agriculture. Listen, I, yeah. everyone knows I'm super pro librarian. I'm pro agriculture. I am Hell pro. Yeah. I am pro. I am Hell pro. Yeah. Here for it. Hell yeah. Tweet me pictures of your gardens. <laughs> Hell yes. <laughs> This is like the real mission of the show is to convert everybody into being fans of agriculture. That is my life goal. Absolutely. Amanda, <laughs> if you're going to tell people to tweet pictures of our gardens, we need a hashtag just like heck puppers so that we can follow it. Ooh, yes. damn. Yes. What do we think? Mm, Demeter's garden. Yes. Agriculture yes. is practice. Agriculture <laughs> is practice. Is that where we're going? With? I love that. I love it. I love that so much. Absolutely. Yes. Hashtag Demeter's garden. Hashtag agriculture is praxis. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. Shen Nung is also credited with inventing the weekly farmer's market. Which <gasps> Damn. Right, as an avid farmer's market. Did he also invent cute puppies? Basically, we are not at the end of what he invented. He basically invented it all. All of it. It is This is, is like, hold your applause till the end of the graduation ceremony. I will do my best. Basically, he is also credited with testing medicinal herbs on himself collecting the data and writing it down and according to legend he died because he tested the wrong herb and it killed him it'll do that sometimes the wrong herb it'll do that but as a deity like way way to show up for the people who worship you yeah i like that he was just like i am going to invent all of these things and also a thing that white women love to go to on weekends (laughs) on sundays like ah yes thank you sir Yeah, and also, like, way to have your cred. Like, you are a god with real experience. Yeah. It's not like Zeus is like, oh, no, no, I was just born here. I guess I just have sex whenever I want. Like, this god has done the work, and I did really the work. appreciate that. Yeah. He like, did the work. I appreciate him, him putting his life on the line, testing all those medicinal herbs. Like, he really put his money where his mouth was and, like, proved that he was not afraid to get shit done. I do appreciate that. I feel like I've listened to enough episodes of Sawbones where they're like, well, the guy injected himself with cholera so we could figure out how to solve cholera. I was like, "Eh, that seems like a bad idea. And I wouldn't personally do that because I'm a Slytherin and self-preservation is important. (laughs) But good on that, dude. As a Gryffindor, somebody's got to do it. Good on you people. I'm not gonna. And such a good reminder why, like, modern standards are not the arbiters like the yardstick of like human intelligence and achievement like 5000 years ago somebody was figuring out from you know hands on first person like experimentation what actually worked and transmitting that knowledge to others such that either he was so good at it IRL that he was deified or this is something that was so respected by the culture that it became something that you, you know, tell one unified story about. And just like, ugh, human beings are amazing. And either of those options is really, really good when you yeah. think about it. Yes. Either one is great. I'm here for either one. <laughs> it's the uh, it's the little girl being like, soft tacos or hard tacos? Why not both? <laughs> Why not both tacos? Pork and little stills. <laughs> uh, the only thing I had left to say about Shenong is that he taught all of this to humans which is great on him so 
That was just the last little bullet point. I yeah, to make sure I no, I feel like that's a that's kind of a recurring theme with our agricultural spirits and deities is be like, oh, yes, I know all these things. They will help you in the long run. I'm going to teach them to you. I'm like, thank you, sir or madam. I appreciate it. I feel like that is so different from so many other things that are either invented by humans or stolen by humans or something the humans get them through like trickery or some kind of non-consensual giving Mm -hmm. but often yeah often when we see agriculture it is just about there's some god somewhere who wants to make humans better and so they are gifted agriculture yeah and we appreciate them zeus isn't out there teaching me how to throw thunderbolts that's not cool that's true screw you zeus yeah and it's so interesting that agriculture like is something that evolved from like many many people's hard work but Mm -hmm. it's still something that so many traditions see as like beyond humans and you know so large because it's so necessary to your own life but even when we think about how it started they we still want to credit that with someone else saying you know there is no way that we could do something this great and like this Mm -hmm. important and this huge um that you know that that creation is is outside of the human race yeah. yeah. And I think whether it's sort of like the the hero's journey um, pervading what we think of as a story. But like when you think of a story, you often think about like individual desire, individual achievement, like somebody who defies rules and kind of like goes on to like do whatever other people can't do. And I think that's like that's very imperialist. That's very capitalist. Like that's very post-industrial. Um but thinking about agriculture, and I'm sure part of this is being like romanticized as somebody who did not grow up uh, farming. Um, probably kids, some of the kids who grew up on a farm are just like, get away from me. Like, I want to go to the grocery store, like, leave me alone. Um, <laughs> but the fact that agriculture is like a human achievement that is wrought over generations, lots and lots of incremental changes that build to something that like fundamentally changed the bodies, minds, like evolutionary path of our species, our planet, uh, for better and for worse. Like that is so incredible to me. And those are the stories that I am really interested in. I'm interested in like knowledge that is gained and transmitted over generations in like quote unquote unofficial channels because like whatever, like fuck history books, fuck like <laughs> knowledge, fuck like Wikipedia articles. It it is like the the lived real reality and wisdom that you get from those that you talk to every day and the food you eat every day and the water you drink and like the paths you walk like that understood bodily knowledge is to me the most profound i definitely agree and to kind of get on a soapbox that i stood upon many times before please uh So the U.S. government and many other governments throughout the world, but I'm most familiar with the U.S. government, has a system called cooperative extension where the U.S. Congress basically understood that relationship within agriculture in like the 1800s. And they set up this prerogative for universities to work with farmers to test new technology because they knew that that an industry like a company couldn't just come out and create new farm technology by itself. You have to have farmers testing this and improving it and making it better and figuring out what is and isn't working generation to generation. And that's how you really, you know, create change in a food supply and create change in the agricultural industry. And I just think I people often talk about how radical public libraries are. I think cooperative extension is equally as radical because you're really thinking about the people's ability and the farmer's ability to change the food system and to create innovation 
on just like a farm level and how important that is. And it's like really at the center of this whole branch of the federal government that has like millions and millions and millions of dollars that runs through it because of just this farmer's ability to create innovation and to pass it on to his kids and that interperson like translation of knowledge. A hundred percent. They really do sound like equal partners in that endeavor, not like somebody who is like a quote unquote expert and someone else who is like a quote unquote practitioner. Like those things are synonymous. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So to wrap up, we wanted one of the things I wanted to hit was um, there's a couple things. Both we saw this both in the Sumerian myth and in the Greco-Roman myth about agriculture separating humans from other animals, and I just found that fascinating as like this idea that it is our ability to cultivate stuff from the ground that sets us apart. From- Although we aren't actually the only animals who do that. What? Please tell me what? the other animals that do that <laughs> yes. right now, please. Ants, ants ranch. <gasps> what? Yeah. That's so cool. Wait, tell me, what, what do they do? They ranch aphids. So they like. <gasps> yes, I've heard of this. <gasps> I didn't know that. Yeah. So they basically like get some aphids and then they like build a little aphid corral and like breed the aphids. So they get more aphids and then eat the aphids. Oh, I'm so my goodness. delighted. I had no idea. Yeah. That is so, Ranch or ants. That's so cool. I it's can't very even. Good. That's so cool. I it's very that. good. I love the idea of like a little ant into a little like ant cowboy hat <laughs> going around into a little aphid corral counting its aphids and maybe like playing a banjo. Like yeah, like little yeah. goats because they can't, they're, they're too small for the ants to ride. So they, they're just kind of cultivating them like goats. I appreciate yeah. that. That's Mandy, pretty, you could yeah, be a, an ant farmer. I'm really trying hard to make a farmer in the cowman reference, but I can't get there. I'm sorry. I, yeah. Yeah. I actually mentioned when we were doing research for this, I was like, I'm going to try and bring Oklahoma into this somehow. Someone has to, because it's not always Amanda. <laughs> there, Yeah. There's some evidence that other uh, apes also, like chimps, sometimes will like plant seeds from things they ate and then, you know, eat them later when they grow. But... I think ants ranching is definitely the highlight story. It's so good. It's, it's so adorable. delightful. Well, yeah, that is. I mean, the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if we can just close on kind of like a more micro scale. Like, is there a way in which um, agriculture has come to influence or define your personal mythologies? Obviously, like with both of you and the podcast and Hallie with your profession, um, this is meaningful to you. So could you just say a little bit about either when you realize this is something you want to pursue or an experience you've had recently that kind of reminded you like, yes, this resonates on some kind of deep level? I grew up Quaker and I still I'm still a practicing Quaker. Um, And so most Quakers worship in silence. And there's a lot of it's very meditative. When I went to boarding school, I went to a Quaker boarding school, and we had um, a meeting for worship with attention to goats right after the baby goats were born. Um, <gasps> you just broke Amanda's heart there. Go on. <laughs> um, but so we all sat in the farm, and, you know, the baby goats came up, and I, I don't know if there was that much, like, commuting with the spirit capital c capital s <laughs> but it felt really good to just kind of sit there in silence with a bunch of baby goats and think about divinity and then on the first because this was in ohio so you know winters in ohio are not super fun and on the first 
really nice Wednesday, which is when we had school-wide worship. We just had meeting for worship outside, and uh, they brought out a bunch of poetry books. So we read poetry and enjoyed the spring for the first time in months. And I think both of those really helped me realize that how divinity and uh the kind of renewal cycle and the growth in agriculture are so connected. And I know like even, you know, when I'm watering my plants or like tending to them, I kind of like to take that as a time to commune with nature almost. And personally, I see divinity in nature all the time because it's here and it's incredible and it's great and I love it. And so for me, communing with nature and spending time around nature helps me strengthen that connection to divinity. Well, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing you. that. Uh, for me, I'm not terribly religious. Like I think a lot of other people my age, I'm not terribly religious. I was raised in a religion and it's not something that I practice every day. And for me, like going into agriculture, I found that agriculture is a very beautiful space in a lot of ways. And a lot of what agriculture can do, I think can, can be kind of reminiscent of churches, particularly around college campuses and around, um, I mean, that's that's been a lot of my experiences around college campuses, but also around um, local food systems, small towns. Uh, I, there's always, you know, some kind of harvest potluck where if, you know, people are gardening or if there are small scale farmers, you'll see a lot of, you know, potlucks and people coming together who are lots of different ages and, and lots of different backgrounds and they'll sit together and talk together. And I've always found that very powerful. Uh, most recently for me, I was living and working on the Navajo Nation, actually at in extension. And I found that very thrilling uh, because I was basically brought out there through this this federal program to work with people who wanted to get back to their religion. Mm. And that religion was directly tied to agriculture. Um, and so I was doing a lot of talking with folks who had, you know, often moved back to the reservation and wanted to get back into the planting cycle because that was really key to how they prayed and how they worshipped. So, I mean, part of part of that for me was directly that that religious link, but part of it was just also seeing how that these different agricultural activities brought everyone together, even if they didn't really have an occasion an occasion to be together in an, in another time or space. And it was just, yeah, I think that the church does that very well, where people of different ages and backgrounds all come together. And I think mm -hmm. that agriculture is a really great vehicle for that as well. Awesome. That's really, really cool. Well, from uh, China in almost 3000 BCE to uh, today on the Navajo Nation, I I'm so glad that we got to talk about and think about and commune with for an hour or so um, the role that nature and agriculture have played in all of our lives as a species and as individuals. So thank you both so much for coming on. And please let our conspirators know where they can find each of you and want to grow on. Thank you so much. We are so excited to have been on. Thank you for the invite. Uh, you can find One to Grow On at One to Grow On Pod at pretty much every social media. Um, I am at Hallie underscore Casey, H-A-L-L-I-E underscore Casey, C-A-S-E-Y. And I am at Catherine Arge, C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E-A-R-J-E-T, because you have to spell both of them, um, <laughs> on Twitter and I think that's my only public social media, so on Twitter. Okay, smart. 
<laughs> Beautiful. Well, conspirators, no matter what you are growing or eating today, remember, stay creepy, stay cool. Thanks again to our sponsors. Calm is offering Spirits listeners 25% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash spirits. Away will give you $20 off a suitcase at awaytravel.com slash spirits using code spirits at checkout. And Shaker and Spoon is located at shakerandspoon.com slash spirits, where you'll get $20 off your first box. Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider, with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us at Spirits Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. We also have all of our episode transcripts, guest appearances, and merch on our website, as well as a form to send us your urban legends at spiritspodcast.com. Join our member community on Patreon, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast for all kinds of behind the scenes stuff. Just $1 gets you access to audio extras with so much more available too. Recipe cards, director's commentaries, exclusive merch, and real physical gifts. We are a founding member of Multitude, a collective of independent audio professionals. If you like spirits, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. And above all else, if you liked what you heard today, please share us with your friends. That is the very best way to help us keep on growing. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time.